You're listening to Faith Assembly of God Online, a recording of our weekly service. Thanks for joining with us, a place where hope and reality converge. Today we're going to be um, continuing our series, uh, Hashtag Love, and, and for the last couple of weeks we've been sharing about different different uh, aspects of love, and, and uh, our, our main verse, our, our, our title verse of this, of this series is that in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, where it says, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. How many of you are so glad today that, that God loved us first? That he, is, that he doesn't judge us on He doesn't judge us on how much we love him. Well, you only love me so much, so then I'm only going to love you back so much. It's not, it's not circumstantial, his love for us. It's one way and it's all the way. How many of you are thankful for that today? I'm very thankful for that today. This series isn't just about marriage or relationships, but, but love in general. It's where we've been learning and, and, and trying and applying in our lives how to love God more, how to receive his love better, how to love others more, and how to love this life, though it may be short, and the Bible says our life is but a mere vapor in comparison to all of eternity, and that we should love this life more no matter our circumstances but giving God thanks throughout it because it is a gift. But we're also learning not to get outside of, of love, and, and, and we, we titled this, this series Hashtag Love, and, and, uh, and you may think, well, what for those who may be uh, you know, a little more seasoned in life, and uh, you know, the hashtag, it's basically just the number sign, okay? Just going to throw it out there for you. It's that, and, but, but in today's uh, society, it's a, it's a marker. It's that hashtag where you can, uh, you know, in all different types of social media, you, you hashtag something. It started in, in Twitter where you would hashtag something and and then it kind of morphed into you know kind of quick little funny uh, things you can say to add uh, a little more value to what you were saying but but ultimately what it was intended for is is a marker that consolidates all the thoughts and and pictures and videos and etc and and love that word love is the most hashtagged word uh, in all of social media however that word love the word love is the most under misunderstood words in all of history. Because that word love is is it's paradoxical, meaning meaning it, it means many different things. We we say, well, I, I love chicken nuggets. I love my wife. <laughs> now I hopefully you don't love chicken nuggets on the same level you love your wife. Okay, that's might be another series uh, later on. But um you know you you love your wife. You love your your husband. I I've been married for uh, it's gonna. I'm in my eleventh year of of marriage, and and you know even though I, I I'm it's been over a decade I've been married. I still like to act like I'm still dating my wife. You know I'll be like, hey girl, how you doing? How your mama be? You know I just uh you know I just do that. You know if you've been married uh, more than a year and you haven't continued to do that, okay? She may I get the eye roll and like whatever. I'm like, girl, you cute when you're mad. You know it's just like I still love you. And she's gonna be a second service, so I'm just practicing getting all that out so I don't get the look already. So, uh, you know we say, well, uh, you know I love I love the Steelers. 
my case, I love the Kansas City Chiefs, but because they were better than the Steelers this year, that's why I can say that. But if it was flip flop, I would never say that because probably be the last sermon I preach. No, I'm kidding. You say I love Jesus, or I love sushi from Gwen's. Or I love my children. You see, there's all these different variances and levels of love. And our first week, Pastor Jason uh, shared about how we love without restraint. And how the takeaway that week was that real love is defined on uh, how much God loves us, not that we love him. And because of his love for us gives us the freedom to love others without restraint. And we'll come back to that a little later this morning. The second week we were uh, we discussed it was the week of Valentine's Day and it was a love to die for. And we looked at Philippians chapter two verse four and it says, "Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others as well." That to die for means to value something worthy of your very existence. And we talked about this the idea of, of, of dying for somebody and how Christ died for us. And to die for is the process of gaining. We know that in the, in the Bible it says that to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. But also to live is the process of giving. Last week, Pastor talked about the, uh, in, in the third week of hashtag love is climbing Mount Forgiveness. And we took note of the story in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and 35, where, where Jesus was, was asked about forgiveness. He, he, was, he was asked uh, that uh, how many times should you forgive? And, and Levitical law stated that you, should only, um, that you should only forgive three times. At the fourth, you're, you're done. So you wronged me once, twice. At the fourth time, you're not my friend anymore. Sorry, I don't know you. I'm just playing. I'm not really saying that for real. Um, but... And then so Jesus came back and says, well, you should, you should forgive much more than that. Seven, you know, 70 times seven, you should continue to forgive no matter what. And he told this story of a king who called in his debts, and there was uh, one of his servants who owed uh, millions of dollars. And, 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 the, and the servant pleaded and said, dear king, I can never pay that back in my lifetime. There's no way I could pay that. Even if I got a raise, there's no way I could pay that. And the king uh, found mercy and took pity on him and forgave that debt. How, I mean, this was millions of dollars. Could you imagine that conversation, that feeling of, of, of just contentment and joy. But then that, that servant goes to one of his friends who owes him just thousands and demands payment, and, and that servant says the same thing. And then, and then he pretty much throws him in jail until he could pay it, and, and the king found out about it. And, and what we learned here is that God is so forgiving of our sins, whether we can pay it, we can never pay it back, but he's so forgiving of our sins that we should give our brothers and sisters uh, or risk spending an eternity without him. And some of the takeaways that week were, were, were of this is that we lay down, we, we lay down our right to be justified, that we outlove the offender, and that we forgive by faith and not by feelings. 
I encourage you, if you haven't listened to these last three messages, that you would you would get on our website and, and go to where it says sermons and 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 and, and grab on grab these and, and listen to them in your time, whether you're going to the gym or on your way to work or however you can listen, because this is a this is a fundamental message that that will determine how we can change our families, shape our culture, and see God's glory in this place. Amen. And so we are in our fourth installment of this series, and Lord willing, if, if he would, Terry will be concluding this series next week. So as, before we get into this segment of Hashtag Love, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we love you. And Lord, we thank you that your love is not circumstantial. But Lord, you love us first, and you love us with a love that, is, uh, that cannot be measured. So Lord, today as, as I prepare to speak, I stand behind you, Jesus, and I let you, sh- and you shine today. It's nothing that I do, but it is you through me. So Father, I pray, God, that these, th- this word, Lord, let it challenge those, let it inspire those, let it be prophetic to those. Lord, I pray that Holy Spirit, you just do what you do. And Lord, and we thank you for that. In your name I pray, amen. This week we're talking about loving enough to say the tough stuff. Loving enough to, to, to say the tough stuff. Ever had to say something that was tough to someone? Anybody? Maybe, maybe, maybe it was out of anger or frustration or whatever. You had. And, and, and there's this saying that says the truth can't hurt. Like truth can hurt sometimes. However, a, a mark of, of maturity is how well we can take those tough sayings, but also it's a mark of maturity in the way that we can share them with others. You know, speaking the truth that is God's truth, not, not his truth filtered through your emotions or your fears or your hurts or your bitterness, but, but his truth needs to be spoken in love. This morning, I, I want to be able to lay a thick foundation as to where we're going to go today, where we're going to land today, and we're going to end today here just in a, uh, hopefully uh, in the next three hours, no, I'm just kidding, uh, that we'll be ending today at the Lord's table in communion. But looking to God's Word, if you have your Bibles this morning, we want to be in Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to be in the later part of, of, this, uh, of this chapter. But here we see that Paul is writing the church in Ephesus, and in chapter 4, he's talking about the, the unity of the body, the unity of the church. And he lays out a few things on, on how the unity in the church and God's body can be achieved. We see here that we need to realize in verse 7 that, that we need to realize that we all have gifts, special gifts to contribute. If you have air in your lungs, then you are here for a reason. Therefore, you have a gift, and therefore, you are supposed to do something with that gift. Amen? It's okay to verbally participate today. It's all right. You can get a little rowdy, Rich. I'll be okay. All right? Even though you're not a deacon anymore, you can still get rowdy, okay? That's fine. But we all have gifts, and those gifts are to be contributed to the body of Christ as well as everywhere we go. We also know that there are some that he's equipped to lead his church. We see there in, in, in later on, it, it says that Paul writes that these people are, are, are gifts to Christ's church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. And their role and responsibility is to equip God's people. They will carry their own weight, but they're not to do everything themselves. 
They're there to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church and the body of Christ. And in verse 13, we basically pull from this is that this equipping will continue until our faith and knowledge of Jesus is achieved. And this is a picture of a mature and unified church. So, so Paul is right here saying, like, this is, this is kind of the prerequisite of, 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 of a unified church. Because then he sets up now in verse 14, it says, then we will no longer be immature like children. There are so many churches today that, that, are, that are just like daycare centers, just full of people who are about me, 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 and their own agenda. I Fix me, I, that, I'm this, I'm that. And, and they're not mature. It says that we won't, be, we won't be tossed around and blown away by every new wind of a new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. But then Paul says in verse 15, it says, instead. Because instead, because of the body, you contributing gifts, being equipped by the leadership and being unified in your faith and knowledge of Christ will speak the truth in, say it with me, love. Growing in every way more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. In verse 16, he makes the whole body fit together as each part does its own special work. It helps each other uh, parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. We have to understand, church, that, that, we are, that Christ is the head of the church. We are the body. And so every person, every part, every ministry here plays an important role. I couldn't, you know, I, I couldn't do certain things without my legs, okay? I need them to go places, okay? They, it's important. And, and, and we have to remember that as a church that every part of what we do is important and it works together. You know, we need our feet. We need our hands. We need our eyes. And so we have, to, we have to realize that what's going on in the nursery or what's going on on Wednesday nights and what's going on in the pulpit and what's going on in the office all plays a role because we are all in this together. Amen? We are all in this together. But understand, guys, is that you cannot speak the truth in love to someone without being in unity with them or having a relationship first. Meaning if you don't, if they don't know that they love you, then it won't mean anything and it won't be received. You know, my, one of my first months, I've been here uh, just over a, a year, and uh, one of the, the first months, my first youth service, I, I didn't come out with some hard message saying, you're going to hell and blah, 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 because what would they do? Uh, who are you? And you're weird. Uh, this is the guy they brought in? Great. <laughs> you know, it was, it was about building relationships. Like, before I can even speak into your life, you need to know about me. We have to do this thing called life together so that, so that when things come and challenges come and, and issues may come, then I can speak to you, I can speak that truth in love. We have to understand the, the different kinds of love. There's all different kinds of love. There's that chicken nugget kind of love, and there's that your spouse kind of love, and there's all these different kinds of love that when shown properly, we can see great change in our community. But we understand that all love comes from God. There's no other source of true love because God is love. Fake love is not righteousness, however, but real love is righteousness. And understand this morning is that that love always starts with God's leading first. 
followed by God's faith, that supernatural belief that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11, which gives us access to God's grace. You see, God's grace is sometimes so misinterpreted and misunderstood in the church. There have been so many teachings about grace, 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 and I'm not going to get into that this morning, but understand is that grace empowers us to live at a higher standard. It just doesn't get us to get out of free jail card. But then God's grace flows in. And at that point, after God's grace flows in, after we have, are following God's faith and we start from his leading, we begin thinking God's thoughts and then speaking God's words, and then God acts through you. If you want to do something great for God, then first start with his leading, the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Then, then begin to, to put your faith out there, and then you understand his grace that gives you the empowerment to do great things. And then you begin to start thinking like God thinks, having God-type thoughts, and then you'll be speaking God's words, and then you'll be doing great acts of God through you. You see, our place is to submit to the righteousness of God and let him do it through you. God gets all the glory, and you get blessed. You may ask this morning, well, well what, about, what about the unbelievers who love their spouses or the love their, who love their children or, or love their friends? Well, if we look to God's word, there, there are four types of, of love mentioned in the Bible. And I just want to briefly kind of go over those uh, so that we have an understanding of what those levels are and that kind of use that to springboard into our, our next thought and topic. The first one is a Greek word called philio, which means brotherly love. This is the kind of love that is based on common interests, goals, personalities that just seem to go well. So if, 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 if me and, and Sam here both like playing football together, then there's that brotherly love. Or, or he was at Applebee's the other night, and, and we were having an Apex thing, and he, I, I, he likes to eat. I found this out because they ordered, like, all those, all those appetizers. Sorry, I put you on the spot, dude. You like... I was like, dude, you're eating more than me. That's, that's, that's an achievement. I gave him a high five. That's amazing. There's a common interest, that, that brotherly love, you know. Like I, I hang out with, with Mark and Sarah. Like, there's that common interest. There's that brother and sisterly love. We, we, there, there's that common interest, that, that filio type of love. Then there's another Greek word called eros. It's that self-gratifying love. Eros is, is focused on oneself. What is, what can I get? And often in terms of pleasure, it, it, it cares nothing for others because it's too busy using others and taking advantage of them. Although it may impersonate affection, it may have the look of what true love is, but it's, but it's self-serving, it's self-gratifying. There's another form of love called storge, and, and that refers to the kind of love that naturally occurs between family members. Yes, you are supposed to love your family. <laughs> Let that sink in. I don't know why I should say that, but just, you know, there's a, there's a natural love. Just like God puts a conscience in each one of us, that, that there is a natural love that is between brothers and, and sisters or whatever. I, I know that my brother, if he, if he was here today, he would attest to this. I just wouldn't let him say on the mic because he has some stories. But, but he, he drives me crazy. How many, sibling, how many of you have siblings? Come on. That's, it's okay. How many of you are the oldest in your family? Okay, you know what I'm talking about. How many of you are the youngest in your family or middle child? And you, yep, mm-hmm. yeah, I see you. Okay, <laughs> but I love him. 
no matter what. I remember there was a time where my brother and I were having this, we were actually like not, we were having a brotherly conversation, meaning we were fighting. All right, we were fighting, and one of his, and one of uh, one of my friends was with us, and of course he felt awkward. He saw us fighting, and he tried to like jump in and like fight for me. And so then my brother and I beat him up in love. I'm like blood thicker than water. Like you need to, you just need to, we need to figure this out. Okay, this is just we're loving each other right now. Okay, all right, so we need to take care of this. Now it was just, it was just a, it wasn't like an actual like fisticuffs type of thing, but. We had to handle some business. We were working stuff, working some stuff out. But there is that love. It's the powerful love that sweeps over a mother when uh, when she gives birth. It's the love between brothers and sisters, and God built that natural affection into every person with their family. The type of love that we are most concerned with this morning that we are going to use as a, a springboard into, into the rest of this message is, is that supernatural love. This is the love that God is. This love goes beyond natural affection. It, 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 we were literally created to flow with this kind of love in mighty flowing streams as we tap into the all-powerful source of this love, this agape love. This love is only available through Christ who reconciled us to the almighty God who created all things. And you say, well, well what, is this, what is this love? How do we define this love? And, and we look to God's word in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says that we find that love is patient. Well, that, we could stop right there. <laughs> Love is patient, it's kind, it's humble, it's polite, it's serving others, it's self-controlled, it's forgiving, it's good, it's truth-loving. Love is not envious, it's not boastful, nor desiring recognition, nor proud, nor rude. It's not self-seeking, nor wanting to be served, or quick-tempered. It's, it's not unforgiving, it's not entertained by evil, nor does it seek out a lie. This is the agape love that we're talking about. The love that is only available and it flows from the throne of God. And I believe that this list here is just the beginning of it. Because God's love is so much bigger and so much deeper and so much more intense that that mere words and adjectives can't even fully describe it. We just had to put some words to it so that we can try to begin to comprehend it in our lives. And this is the love that God sent his son to die for us, that God loved so much. It was that love that held him to the cross. It it was that love that saw your potential and not your faults. It is the love that forgives our sins in that agape love which which loves unconditionally. And it's the love that has conquered death, hell, and the grave. Hallelujah. You want to know how to win your family, win your school, win this city? Love like that. Love like that like that. But before you and we as a community of believers pursue to change our family and change our workplaces and change our schools and and change our county, you have to first let that agape love, that unconditional love first change you. You've got to let it change you first. I was growing up as a, as a kid, um, 
Uh, we didn't have a whole lot. Um, my dad worked at a slaughterhouse and, and worked sometimes double shift. He worked third shift. My mom uh, worked as well. She had, at the time, she uh, she uh, managed a, a fabric store, like a Joanne's Fabrics or a Sofro or, or something. I don't, I always had to go there. It was weird. Um, but you know, so because we didn't have a whole lot, my uh, my mom, um, and she, she sewed a lot. She thought that it would make us really cool and popular in school to make our clothes. So we had so many pairs of MC Hammer pants about three years after they were cool. Comfy, yes, not so much fashionable. They're kind of coming back, though, of what I heard, but good luck with that. Um, and so I remember, uh, I was wearing my MC Hammer pants one day, um, cause that's all I really had to wear. Uh, and, uh, and I saw, it was a commercial, it was when the Michael Jordan's, you know, his, his shoes, Air Jordans were out and they had this pair of Air Jordans that I wanted so much, man. I was like, please let me offset this outfit with some Jordans, please. I need some shoes. You know, they were the kinds for those who are shoe connoisseurs, the ones that had the double straps and they crossed and they were black and purple and they were like so awesome. I'm like, all the girls will think I won't have cooties anymore if I wear this. It's awesome. MC Hammer pants kind of proved it wrong. But anyway, and so I remember I'm like, mom, can I get these pair of shoes? Can I, can I please? I just, I'll, you know, it can be my birthday present, my Christmas present until I was 18. I was trying to like barter all this other stuff. And so my mom, uh, you know, wanted to do her best. Obviously, we couldn't afford it. It wasn't a good, it wasn't a good investment uh, for us at the time. And, uh, and my mom wanting to try to be the best mom that she could be, um, she, uh, she took me to uh, Payless Shoes. And there's nothing wrong with Payless Shoes. Let me get that out there. And Payless, if you don't know, they kind of have the other versions of those shoes. And so instead of a pair of Air Jordans, I got a, uh, a pair of Air Jadens, okay? And uh, they lasted about three days, but that's okay. I was like, Mom, thank you. I'm so happy. <laughs> um, some of you are like, you're ungrateful. I was like, I was a kid. I didn't know. But here's the thing. I, I just had to deal with that and get over it. However, there are so many of us by choice are walking around spiritually, pu- spiritually poor and loving with a payless version of God's love. It might get you by, but it's not the real deal. And you don't have to live that way. Can I say to you in love, church, rise above it and let's move on. You were bought with a price. I think when we realize how valuable our lives are because God made us in his image and he has given us so many things and even living in this country is a blessing because those who are, who are at the poorest of our, in our country can live like kings in other countries. Once we understand the value of our life, then it makes things seem a little bit smaller, a little bit obsolete, a little, thing, a little much more to get over. You see, when you become a Christ follower, when you accept Jesus Christ into your heart, you automatically, whether you realize it or not, you begin to take a side. You take a side and you stand up and say, yes, I'm going to follow Christ. I am going to stand up for what this means, and I'm going to do that. But many times we don't understand that. And we, as Christ followers, have to take a side. Because if you don't take a side, then you're not really following Christ. 
You know, there was a, a movie that came out in 1993, I believe. Many of those who are teenagers here, you weren't alive yet, so just deal with this, okay? Uh, but but there was a movie. It was kind of a kid's movie because I was a kid then, and I saw it was in third grade. And it was a movie with Robin Williams called Hook. It was a, another interpretation of Peter Pan. How many of you all seen that? I'm not going to count you unholy if you saw that movie. I'm just saying it was a good movie. And so there was a leader of the there was a leader of the Lost Boys because I don't have time to get in the whole movie. Just just get it on VHS or something and just watch it, okay? Because will help me out a whole lot. But but there was the leader of the Lost Boys. His name was, anyone know who the leader was? What? Say it again? Yes, who was that? Amanda, that's awesome. Okay, great. Great. Um, small groups tonight in the snow at the Wilson's. No, I'm just uh, kidding. Um, but Rufio, he was the, he was the leader. And I'm not going to get into the chant. I'll do that next service because I don't want to embarrass myself. But Rufio, Rufio, Rufio. Okay, so um, I feel better about that. But there was a point where the old Peter Pan was there and the leader of Lost Boys, and he had, he had Pan's sword, and he took a line in the sand. And he drew this line in the sand. He said, are you with me or are you with him? Are you with me or are you with him? And of course, the Lost Boys at the time they they were they were more uh, they were more loyal to Rufio, and so they decided I'm going to be with Rufio because this guy, this Pan, this is not the Peter Pan. He's old. He's he's overweight. He's weird. It's he he's a lawyer. It's all these things. I don't I don't want to be with him. But over time, he proved himself, and they joined his side. They did the lion thing again, and they they chose a side. There was a man named Eli uh, Weissel, and this man chose a side. He was born in Romania in 1928. He won the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the Congressional Gold Medal, National Humanities Medal, the Medal of of Liberty, the Lifetime Literary Achievement Award, the National Jewish Book Award for Modern Jewish Thought and Experience, and by, just to throw that in, the Nobel Peace Prize. He he authored over 55 books, and and he, he stood up for something. He took a side and spoke against human human trafficking and human uh, tragedies. He he spoke against tra- uh, he spoke against genocide because this man survived the concentration camp called Auschwitz. He survived and he he stood up for for what is right and he spoke against what is wrong. He took a side. We know from history that that this was called the the factory of death. Over between two point five and four million men, women, and children died in this place. They were rooms this size with with just with shoes full of all the all the victims of that. There's a place where they had rooms like this size, even even bigger, a full of gas chambers that, that they would kill people, and you would see the scratches on the walls from people trying to get out. This place was had no hope. It had no place. There was no joy, and, and people died by the millions. He stood up. He stood up. He said this. He says, neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. And silence encourages the tormentor and never the tormented. Let me say that again. He says, neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. And silence encourages the tormentor and never the tormented. We find many times that taking a side can be too risky, too dangerous We'd rather keep our head down and, and pray that, that the things that we face and the things that go on in our city uh, can just blow over. 
And so many churches and, and so many Christians are living like that. Even here in this city, I'm not trying to speak any offense. I'm just trying to speak truth today. That they're not, try, they're not taking a side or, or, or they have, but they're not doing anything about it. I'm going to show you a video right now of, of something the Herald Standard did, giving a, a, a picture of, of what's going on in this county. I don't even call this an epidemic anymore. I call it a pandemic. Many It's pills and our people getting very rich by keeping people high. city you can count on a fender bender every couple days or a vehicle accident you count on an overdose you'll see it's kind of a half moon a couple of few years ago they decided to block the top off because what we would get a lot of which like now you can see where everybody parks what they do now is they park here and the people will run their drugs out to them here. It's just absolutely just tearing apart much of the the, the youth we have left here. We've been to houses where, you know, the kids and, and, and the parents are both high. You know, you know, you get high with your parents, uh, you know, and one of them overdose. Uh, you know, I don't know how a government or a, how, how do you fix, how, how do you fix that? I just don't understand. This drug has no boundaries when it comes to male, female, white, black, old, young. You know, there's no, it's not segregated by any social group. I mean, you know, we've had a CEO of a big business here in town whose son died because of an overdose. You know, this is a guy that makes a lot of money and his son became victim of it. Heroin's just not something that somebody's gonna say well, I think today I'm going to wake up and try heroin. There has to be something that led to that. We watch houses where we hear there's heroin sales, which takes time. Heroin's your daytime drug. So these people are waking up and, and needing that drug. So they need the money to get the drug. And that's why we've got the daytime burglaries that we've had. You know, people are waking up at 6, 7 in the morning and are going out and they're waiting for working people to leave their house at 8 and are breaking into their homes. And that's why we've had this outbreak of daytime burglaries. Yeah, it's, it's this, pushing the window yeah. up. And there's also on this outside window at the very bottom where they pulled up. Yeah. So They're not taking TVs and they're not taking Xboxes. You know, they're taking a couple rings or a necklace, something that they can get a quick 25 or $50 for to, to support their drug habit go out and you're trying to help these people and you have a whole, I don't want to say room full of people, but you know, they're all high. They're all, and then, then you, you, you walk into these situations and uh, it's kind of precarious. There's two of us unarmed. We've had people punched, flung, you know, pushed around, threatened. Yeah, we've had all those, had all those things. And we can't call the police out on every ambulance call we go on. 
So a lot of times they don't know they're in trouble until they get in into where the patient's at. If there's usually one, there's other people there. And, and a lot of these people are all high at the same time. It, it, it's a very difficult situation. It's not 911's fault. They only get that someone's not breathing. They, didn't, they, they don't get the whole story of what, what's going on. You know, a lot of times we don't get the whole story initially either. I mean, you can still have the opportunity to be honest and tell me what you'll find. If, if someone wants to get high, they're going to get high. And it all boils down to until the attitudes change and have a more positive attitude in this county. I think we're going to have this drug problem for a long time. I disagree with the last part of that video. I said I disagree with the last part of that video. I said I disagree with the last part of that video because there is still hope for this county. There's still hope for this county. You say, well, Pastor, how do you, how do you know that? Because the devil's not going to fight for something he already has. We're in a fight. We're in a fight. And you could have inserted any other variable in that video, whether it be heroin, whether it be poverty, whether it be the, 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 the victim mentality that we face here. There's still hope for this county because we know the enemy's still fighting for it. And the enemy's still fighting for it. That means that we, that we can still fight for it. And if he is for us, then who could be against us? When we decide to truly follow Jesus, we have a choice. It's risky and it's dangerous, but his love can handle risky and dangerous. This is not Detroit or some other country. It's Uniontown, Pennsylvania. When we see something like this, we either have to fight it or be okay with it. And I'm not okay with it. And I hope that you're not okay with it. And if you've become numb to it and say, well, that's just how it is, and that's just Fayette County, and that's just whatever, can I say in love, wake up. Jesus didn't give his life to keep you safe. He gave, you, he gave his life to make you dangerous. And how are you dangerous? It's how you love. This is what being relentless is all about. Not giving up and loving like Christ's love. Going to the places that everyone is afraid to go. Speaking to those who would never be spoken to. Standing up for what is right and standing up for those who cannot defend themselves. We have to stop playing games. It's just happening right outside our doors. And here's the thing is that we don't need to defend God. God can take care of himself. I remember taking my, my daughter, Willow, up to Nemecolon to see the lions, and, and it's such a majestic animal. I remember, uh, you know, one time, that, that lion, even though it was through two fences and we were on the other side of the park, I heard that lion roar. I don't know about you, but that, that's kind of scary. It's like, wait, is that fence still up? I don't run very fast at all. <laughs> I may see Jesus today, which I guess I have to be okay with that. But God's truth is like a lion. You don't need to defend it. When's the last time you need to defend a lion? Hold on, Mufasa. I got you. I'm going to defend you right now. No, you don't need to defend a lion just like you don't need to defend God's truth. Let it free and let it defend itself through how you love. His truth, his agape love in your life then being poured out is all we need to change this city. 
We don't need to go out and punch heroin dealers in the throat. I don't recommend that. You might see Jesus a little bit sooner than you expected. But you should be praying for them because they can be changed. You can pray for those that are, in, that are corrupt in our county and those that are not loving God and those that are causing evil to have its way. You can pray for them. Because I know if a guy like Zacchaeus, who is a chief tax collector, who is hated by the people, not welcomed in his church, he was a gangster, he was running the streets, he stole from old grannies, he stole their money, he probably had people killed, that if if someone like like Zacchaeus can be changed by just one encounter with Jesus, then anyone can be changed. It was because of that change that that whole city became different. The economy changed because Zacchaeus said, I'm not only going to pay back what the Levitical law tells me to pay back, I'm going to pay it back so much more that it just because of my love for Jesus. The, it's, the city's reputation changed because of one man's encounter with the Son of God. Church, I, I told this to, to, to our, our student ministry, and I tell you this, that we should be known not by what we do, but by whom we follow. And who you follow will show the world who you are. And and who do we follow? Jesus. How do we show people who we follow? It's how we serve and how we love. We can have all the great great technology and and all the great sets and, and a great facility, but if we don't show people we love, then it doesn't make a difference. truth in love. As we go to the Lord's table today, I want us to have a fresh encounter with that love as we do, and we do that by remembering what Jesus did for us. Gentlemen, you can just hang on for one, a few more moments. He shed his blood for us to change, for us to have a life that is changed so that we can change others, and for that to happen, we have to apply it. You see, our, our blood that runs through our bodies, it's, it's very important. It, it keeps us alive. It, 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 it transports oxygen to the entire body. It, the, our, our, the blood in our body, it cleans us. It transports waste to the liver. And more importantly, it breaks carbon dioxide of our body so that we don't end up poisoning ourselves. The blood heals us. When we're sick, it fights uh, bacteria and viruses. It also has a coagulation uh, with it that when we bleed, it clots and The blood feeds us and it protects us. And the blood matters for our bodies, but the blood also matters for our souls. What's with the the blood of Christ then? God stated centuries earlier that blood could bring forgiveness, but the blood of the sacrificial animals can only bring temporary forgiveness, atonement. In the Old Testament, every time someone sinned, they had to make another offering they did a certain type of thing. It was a bird offering, or then it was a lamb, or a goat, or or whatever. And every year they would have a a a, a, a ceremony or a big uh, festival called Yom Kippur, and, and that's why it was a, a yearly uh, atonement and forgiveness. That's why God sent His only Son to be the perfect sacrificial lamb to bring us eternal atonement and eternal forgiveness. But that means that Jesus' blood had to be offered. We know that through reading his word and seeing movies like The Passion of the Christ and Son of God, that, that, that Jesus' blood did spill. 
He bled from the many wounds and from the beatings that he had. He, he, was, he, was, he was beaten beyond recognition. He had thorns that were so long pressed into his skull. He was, he was whipped with a cat of nine tails. And, and, and to give you a perspective, it was, it was this, this whip that had nine, of course, uh, nine pieces that had glass and, and, and stones and different things in it. And, but, but they also have this bucket uh, next to it where this, where this uh, whip was in. And, and it was full of the blood of other victims and, 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 and urine and feces and all these different things so that so that when they whipped him they would it would cause infection and they would wrap that thing around him and rip his skin to shreds he was put on a cross and the romans were were masters at execution they were one of the top empires that 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 mastered the the art of execution they could put a spike through your wrist without causing any damage to the bone so that you could hang on a cross and, and crucifixion was one of the the most humiliating and slow and excruciating ways to die because you did not necessarily die from your wounds but you died from suffocation you had to push you had to breathe you had to push against the nails in your in your body to just take a breath He bled for us. But the blood just didn't have to flow. It also had to be used. You see, Jesus' blood is meaningless for you unless you apply it in your life. You have to apply it. Just, just as the Israelites did in Egypt before the 10th plague, before the, the angel of death came, they had to take the blood of the lamb and put it over the doorpost to show that this, this house is protected by the blood. Just like in, when they were in the wilderness in the tabernacle where, where the, the high priest that during Yom Kippur had to go to the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the, the blood of the bull on the Ark of the Covenant. The, the blood had to be applied. You see, the blood is meaningless. What Jesus did for you is meaningless until you apply it in your life. Thanks for listening. Tune in again next week.